Dr. Seuss's The Grinch, Chapter 20. The Grinch began by holding one of his special bags open and sweeping presents into it with his big candy cane. Once he had bagged up all the gifts, he took out a shrinking gadget he had invented for just this purpose and aimed it at the bags. Zwook! Instantly shrinking all the bulging bags down to a manageable size. Then he used his extending ladder to whisk the little bags up the chimney to the roof. One by one, they flew out of the chimney and landed in the snow. Plop, plop, plop. Meanwhile, outside the house, Max was using the grappling hook attached to his head to quickly strip all the Christmas lights from along the roof and around the windows. Within seconds, he had removed every single bulb and cord. The house was now dark. Back inside, the Grinch tossed martial arts throwing stars, zwick, 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 at the Christmas tree, tying it into a bundle with attached wires. Using his extending ladder again, he sent the, trimney, the tree up the chimney and onto the roof. The Grinch looked around the room. He had successfully picked the whole house clean in a matter of seconds. There wasn't a single sign of Christmas cheer to be seen anywhere. He grinned an evil grin and rode his ladder up the chimney to the roof, pulling the ladder up behind him. This was when the extendo shoes he had invented came in handy. By extending the soles of his shoes, he was able to simply walk from one roof to the next. In no time at all, he was down the next house's chimney and into the living room. For a moment, he stood with two candy canes crossed in front of his chest. Then with a quick move he had practiced in his cave, he used the candy canes to throw nets around all the presents piled under the tree. He reeled them in like a big school of fish. To move even faster, the Grinch rode a tricycle before he bagged it up, zipping past a delicious-looking cookie setting out on the table for Santa. He stuck to his training. He would not be distracted. Soon he cleaned out the second house. He and Max moved on to the next and the next and the next. Using his clever inventions, the Grinch, together with Max, moved faster and faster, zooming from house to house, leaving each one picked clean. And as they got better and better at using their tools, it took them less and less time to strip all the holiday cheer out of a Who home. Each time they finished a house, a counter on the sleigh ticked down by one. 154, 153, 152, 151, until finally, after several hours of nighttime thievery, the counter on the sleigh clicked down to zero. Or one, excuse me. In all of Whoville, there was only one house left with Christmas presents, stockings, and decorations. Cindy Lou Who's house. The Grinch and Max pulled up to the house in the sleigh. It was easy to spot because it was the last house in Whoville that still had any Christmas lights on it, including a beautiful tree covered in lights and ornaments. This is it, the Grinch said, grinning, the last house. Savoring the moment, he climbed out of the sleigh, absentmindedly giving Max a pat. Then he reached down and pressed a button on his extendo shoes. Click, click, clickety, click, clack. The built-in ladders extended, shooting him up to the roof. At this point, he had made this move so many times he didn't feel in the least bit nervous about the height or the speed or the winter wind blowing in his face as he rose up to the top of the house. He crossed the roof to the chimney, leaving a trail of extendo shoe prints in the snow. Pulling out his candy cane propeller, he climbed onto the chimney, turned on the spinning candy cane, and floated down the chimney. The Grinch popped out of the fireplace and looked around. He started with the tree, wrapping it up with wires and preparing to send the bundle up the chimney. Then across the room, he noticed something, an extremely delicious-looking, beautifully decorated Christmas cookie sitting on a plate. It had obviously been left out for Santa. Ah, oh, what a gorgeous cookie, he said to himself. Then he remembered his lecture to Max and Fred. Even in the face of great temptation, one must remain disciplined. One must resist. But that was just to make sure they hit all the houses in one night, and they had done it. 
Surely, having done such an incredible job of thievery, he deserved just one little cookie. Oh, the Grinch said as he crossed the room to the plate. He quickly snatched the beautiful cookie and what? Cindy Lou's trap was sprung. A welcome Santa sign swung into place dangling on strings. In Cindy Lou's bedroom, a bell over her bed rang. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. She instantly woke up. Just as Rupert had suspected, she hadn't been able to stay awake. It worked, she cried. My trap worked. As know that the Grinch was known, recognized as someone who, thank you, Jacob, uh, was a loner. He didn't have a love for people. He definitely didn't have a love for Christmas. And he had a plan. He didn't want to be bothered anymore by the joy and happiness of Whoville, and he wanted to take that away. So his plan was, I'm going to steal Christmas. So the story that we just read to you is uh, Dr. Seuss was really smart, y'all, because he is dealing with a, a, an age-old problem in a way that communicates to child and adult alike. And his goal in this story was to steal Christmas. But in real life, there was a man by the name of Herod, or Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the first Herod. He is the Herod that was in control of Judea at the time of the birth of Jesus. He was known as a ruthless ruler. And when I read the accounts about Herod and the historical narrative of Herod and what a ruthless man he was, one of the first things that you notice is that he had his second wife killed. He had three of his sons killed because he, were threatened. he was threatened by them that they were going to take over his, his kingdom. And so he had them murdered. And then at one time he ordered 300 of his military officers killed. I just can't imagine, you know, that kind of tyranny that, that he imposed on people. And any time that he heard of anyone going to take over rule or talking about taking over rule, he would have them killed. He was always afraid that someone was going to take his position. And here's what hit me most when I was reading through this again this week. He was known as Herod, king of the Jews, which is what Jesus was known as, Jesus, king of the Jews. So we pick up in a story in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or if you have a smart device, you can find it in the YouVersion app, which is a great resource for you to have. But in Matthew, chapter 2, is the story of the wise men. And it says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we, have seen his, we saw his star and when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And the only reason why I'm telling you guys, the only reason why Jerusalem is troubled is because Herod, Herod is troubled and Herod is a troubled man. And when he's not doing well, nobody is. Does that make sense to you? It's kind of like when we say at our house, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy, right? When Herod's not happy, no one is. And so all of Jerusalem is troubled 
with him is because of his tyranny. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he required of them where the Christ was to be born. And so he gets all the, the scribes and the people who had studied Old Testament writings, the prophets. And they told him in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Ju Judah, there are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem. And so Herod has this deep interest, this deep concern about this baby that's been born. And so the wise men had come there to worship him. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. I just want you all to know that when the wise men come, they truly are coming to worship him. And I believe that it's an important part, and we're going to talk about this more next week, the worship of the Savior, the worship of Christ. And so we invite you to come back next week and be a part of that. They sang anyway as the title of the, the message, the talk next week. So we invite you to come and be a part of that. But, the, but the, the wise men came to bow down before the promised Messiah, the coming king. When Herod says, bring me word that I may come and worship him, we know that that's false worship. We know historically that that's false worship. That's, he's not genuine. He's not sincere in that. And I just want you to know this morning, one of the things that, that we really want to uh, teach our church family, our people, and our friends is the value of worship. The value of worship in our circumstances. The value of worship in our lives. The the. The offering that it is to God when we truly worship, when we truly praise, when we truly sing. And we don't have to be in a crowd. We don't have to be with a bunch of people. We can do it all by ourselves in our car while we're getting ready for work or on the way home from work or wherever we are, wherever we may be, while we're mowing the grass, while we're doing laundry. Whatever it is that we're doing, we can be a people of worship of God. And here really is what worship is about. It's recognizing the presence of God in our life. It's recognizing the presence of God. And so when the wise men come, they're recognizing the presence of God in the world. And so we've been watching, we've been paying attention to, and we have seen his star, and we are come to worship. Herod says, bring me word that I may worship also. Let's read on. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came and rest over the place where the child was. And God guided them right to Jesus. I think that's such a cool part of the Christmas story. That God guided them right to where Jesus was. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down. And they worshipped him. I think it's good for us from time to time to fall down and worship. To kneel in worship. I think it's, it's healthy for us to recognize God for who he is. To recognize Jesus for who he is. And as you read the gospel of John, you will see that Jesus said, I and my father are one. If you're worshiping me, you're worshiping the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And you don't separate Jesus from the father. They're, they're the same. 
they're one. And so they have that unity about them. And they go down and they worship him. Then opening their treasures, they offer him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's not the message today, but that's a fantastic conversation to have. But what was it that they brought and why did they bring it? And what does it represent? And being warmed in a dream, not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. And I not just see this as God's ability to protect, to preserve. And he's watching over Jesus. And he is keeping Herod at bay. And I hope you get that in the story. That God, God's not so distant that he's not involved. And I want you to know that even true today, God's not so distant that he's not involved. We just witnessed eight baptisms. And every one of those baptisms is a story. Every one of those baptisms is a journey. Every one of those baptisms is a, is a relationship between a holy God in heaven, his son Jesus who died for our sins, and us as individuals. So every one of them, you ask the question, do you believe that Jesus has forgiven you? That's active, not passive. That's now, not then. It's today, not historical. And Jesus is involved in our lives. And he's doing a work in our lives. And we're on a journey in this world with him that's real. It's, it's tangible. It's substantial. It's eternal. It's forever. And so what, what God is doing in their lives, what God is actually like, hey, I need to talk to you. I'm going to pick on Charles for one second because he's a tall one. So y'all remember Charles. So at some point, Jesus interrupts Charles' life and says, hey, Charles, I want you to believe in me. I want you to put your faith and your trust in me. I'm here to be your Lord and Savior. And Charles surrenders to Jesus. And he believes that Jesus died on a cross for his sin. And that's not passive. That's active. That's not historical, that's now. And God is actually doing a work in his life now. And every person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus can give you that testimony of, of, of I heard about it or I read about it, I heard it at Christmas time. And, but man, when he's began to speak to me and speak to my heart, it's real. It's real for me. It's real, guys. I just want you to know that it's a real thing that happens in people's lives. And so God is intervening and God is showing up and God is participating and he's alive. He's not dead. He's not distant. He's present. He's alive. He's active. And he's seeking us. He's seeking you. He sought me out in 1982 when I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin and be Lord in my life. He sought me out and said, I want you to be a part of my family. And maybe you're the one that's here today and he's saying to you, I want you to be a part of my family just like all these people did. Young and old. Christian, you're the old one. Right? In verse 13... Joseph is warned by God. And I, I, love, I love this part of the story. Let me read it for you. Now, when they had departed, the wise men had left. They had left their gifts and come and worshiped the king. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, just for clarity, guys, Joseph is Jesus' stepdad. 
when I was a student pastor, a bunch of my kids that, that came into our, our student ministry, they had stepdads. And, and not always the best of circumstances. And I said, listen, guys, do y'all know that Jesus had a stepdad? And they'd be like, what? Yeah, God was his father. Joseph was his stepdad. But he was a fantastic stepdad. Just a great man. And God comes to Joseph, who he had given the watch care and the responsibility of providing for Jesus to Joseph. And the angel comes to Joseph. And he says to him, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. I want you to know that God cares about the family, not just the individual. Oh, that's so good to me. I'm telling you, I love that thought that he wasn't just concerned about Jesus, but he was concerned about Joseph and he was concerned about Mary and he was concerned about that family and he was protecting that family. I want you to know that he wants to protect your family. He's for the family. He's for you. He's for your family. And that's a truth not just for Jesus, but all through Scripture we can see where God is absolutely for the family. He's for you. He wants to protect you and watch over you. He arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. <laughs> Side note, when Herod died, he had a bunch of people killed so there'd be mourning in the land, but that didn't even work. They celebrated, glory to God, he's dead. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And I just have this in my notes. God intervened. Now Herod was looking for Jesus. And he had every intention of killing Jesus. That was his goal. That was his plan. That was his point. Was to kill Jesus. In verse number 16, we go on and we continue to read. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, the Bible says. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. All the male children in Bethlehem. It was described that you could hear the crying and the weeping and the mourning all throughout Bethlehem because of all the little kids that were killed, all the little boys that were killed. In all the region, they were two years old and under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation and Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. I don't know, I just want you to know as a parent when you lose a baby you're not comforted. You don't allow yourself to be. Now you can heal but when you lose a child it's a lamenting thing. And that's what happened there in that country, and what Herod is most known for is that one act where he had all those children killed. Just a ruthless tyrant of a man trying to protect his own position as the king of the Jews. Here's what I want to leave you with. 
Herod's goal was to take away. You know, when you get the Christmas cards, you guys start getting Christmas cards this year already. And they'll have something like peace or joy or love or Merry Christmas or some kind of a well wish, some kind of a greeting. And as I thought about this topic and this, this truth from Scripture of how someone may try to steal Christmas and they may try to steal hope or joy or love or peace or merriment or blessing. When we steal Christmas, what we really steal is Jesus. And I just want you to know God did not let that happen. God preserved Jesus. And when we have Jesus, then we can have hope and joy and love and peace and merriment and happiness and community. It is Jesus that provides that for us. And so I just want you all to know that God stepped right up front and said, no, you don't. I'm not going to let that happen. And God is for Jesus. And God is for you. And he is doing everything that he can to bring about, to bridge that gap between a world that desperately needs him and a God who desperately loves the world. And Jesus is the link. Jesus is the bridge. So for you and me, for us, I, I, I want you to celebrate Christmas. But I, not really just the tree or the presents or the mantle, the decoration. It's Jesus, guys. It's about Jesus. Don't let this world rob you of Christmas. Don't let this world rob you of Jesus. I remember I was a boy. And my grandma went to a little country church up outside of Boyd, Texas, which is about 30 minutes up 287 from here. My grandma had a farm. And on Christmas Eve, after the Christmas Eve pageant, you know, kids singing and the reading of the Christmas story and Santa would come and give out gifts and stuff like that. I went back to my grandma's house. And I was just a kid. And I went out to the, the corral where her animals were. And I crawled up on that fence and I sat there and I loved the farm. I loved being there. And I sat there on that fence and my parents were in the house where it was warm talking to my grandma and my grandpa and my brother and sisters. And I was out there by myself as a kid saying, is this real? Is the Christmas story that we just saw and read, is it real? Is it real? Because people don't live like it's real. And I was just a kid. And it wasn't until I was 21 years old that it really became real to me. That Jesus is real. And he's the point. And I prayed one night in my pastor's office, Lord, if you can forgive me, please do. So I had a lot to be forgiven for. I had a lot that I needed help with. I had a whole lot of brokenness. And not a whole lot of hope. This is real. I want to know. 
are you real? That Monday night in my pastor's office when I bowed and I prayed and I asked Jesus to forgive me, God went to work in my life. And I'm telling you, I've never been the same since. Don't do, don't let anything steal Christmas from you. And by that I mean don't let anything keep you from Jesus. Not a person, not pride, not anybody, not anything. Don't let anything keep you from Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. He changes everything. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm grateful, God, for our time this morning. I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the baptisms today. I'm grateful for the, the kids who are singing and, and Jada and, and her talent and, and how she can lead and worship as a young uh, high school age just servant for you. And I thank you, Lord, for teaching us today and sharing with us the truth of the Christmas story and how you preserved, you brought Christmas. And we celebrate Jesus. And I pray, God, that every person in this room would celebrate Jesus on their own, in their own life, in their own heart, in their own worship. Not, not just because they come to church, but because every morning they wake up thinking and praising you for who you are. In every circumstance and in every situation, you're the point. Jesus, you're our redeemer, you're our friend, you're our savior, you're our hope, you're our peace and our joy and our love. And I pray that we wouldn't let anything take that away. We'd put our confidence in you. We'd put our trust in you. We'd live our lives for you. And I pray today, God, if there's a person in this room who has not trusted Christ as Savior, that today would be the day when they do that, when they pray and ask you to forgive them, to be Lord in their lives, that they would follow you in baptism and they would learn about you. But God, I pray today you would heal the hurt you would help us in our weakness you would strengthen us Lord where we need to be that we'd be courageous for you we would trust you we would live our lives for you thank you God for sending your son Jesus to be the savior of the world and our savior when we trust you there's not another way. There's no other hope. You're the way. You're the truth. You're that abundant life. And I pray, God, that every person in this room today would know that and live that in their own lives for you. God, I know there are people in the room today who have burdens, and you're the burden bearer. And I ask that you would help people today. Help us today. We're needy. I pray that you would forgive us where we sin, where we fail you, where we're clumsy, where we're ignorant, where we sin. And that our lives would reflect Jesus in the best of ways and help us to go out and live in this world for you. 
thank you, God, for bringing Christmas. Thank you for bringing Jesus. It's in his name we pray.